Welcome to Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people at Summit Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We gather each week in the heart of St. Paul on historic Summit Avenue, where our mission is to create rhythm, opportunity, and location where people like you can have life-changing experiences with God. Our podcast is one of those locations. As followers of Christ, we are doing our best to be on mission, disciple others, deliver hope, and champion this city. At any point in your journey with us today, if you want to take a next step or you just want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Summit, just grab your phone and simply text the phrase, be known, all one word, be known to the number 651-360-2908. We will send you a short form that makes it super easy for you to complete. There's always new opportunities to mention and new ways that you can get involved. One of the rhythms that is important to following Jesus and important to us at Summit is studying scripture. As we study the Bible, we can have one, hope, two, find guidance, three, be corrected, and four, receive truth into our lives. Listen in and lean in with us wherever you are, open up God's word, and hear this week's message. We've been going through um, some stranger things in the Bible, ideas, uh, stories that kind of make you scratch your head. If you missed it, we talked about the axe head. We talked about a talking donkey. In the KJV, it's even better. I'm just saying. Uh, you can listen to those messages in their full-length edition uh, or all of their glory or all of their lack, depending on what you think, uh, on our podcast. Our podcast is available at uh, Apple or Google or even Spotify. It's just Summit Church MN or Summit Church Minnesota. It's Life in the Valley, uh, the podcast of the people of Summit Church. So that's where we put our full-length sermons. If you ever miss it, if you're ever traveling and you want to hear that, it's there. Uh, we also have an online encounter that will mirror that as well. But we've been going through a couple of stranger things in the Bible. Today is one of those stranger things that might be in the top three or top two stranger thing in the Bible. When I got married to Danielle, uh, my wife, we've been married for 22 years. And uh, yeah, that's a long time. And it's been amazing um, for me. And the truth is, is I went to South Dakota knowing that I was going to ask her father for the hand in marriage. And my father-in-law, his name is Neil Warney. He's basically half leprechaun and half nails. <laughs> Irish, blue collar as the day is long, worked the same job for 70 years. This guy is literally made out of sandpaper. And so he's a little intimidating. And not only that, Danielle comes from a family of nine, and she's got five brothers. Yeah, five brothers. I have to count. And a few of those brothers look like barn doors. Like they are massive people. And uh, here I am, 20-something years old, and I was talking to Neil about it, and he just goes, well, yeah. Why don't you head in the garage? I'm like, what? Come on in the garage. So I go in the garage, and they know it's coming. He puts this lawn chair out like this, and all of Danielle's brothers come in from outside, and they all sit in a, like a round. And then he takes the chair, 
And he moves it from the edge and just puts it in the middle. And then he sits in the spot. And now I'm surrounded by her father and all of her brothers. And then they took pillowcases and put bars of soap in the bottom of it. No, I'm just kidding. But that's what I thought. I thought, I'm getting beat in here right now. No, they asked me a bunch of questions and what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? What do you want to be? And at that point, I was in a band, a rock band. Okay. My hair was all over to here. The tips were frosted. We were called the undergrads. We were in college. I played the guitar, a Gibson Les Paul, the half stack. It was a punk band. It was a three-piece surfer rock band. Okay, that's what we, that's what, that was like my dream to be in this band. So he's asking me all these questions and all her brothers. And so long story short, uh, it was an awkward conversation. But never one time in that conversation did anyone ask for a dowry. Which would be like an exchange for her hand in marriage. Like, we'll allow you to marry Danielle, but we want 300 oxen, or we want your finest seller of wine, or we want all of your Bitcoin, or we want you to work in our fields for an X amount of time to earn her hand. None of that conversation happened. There was no bank account. There was no transaction. There was no requirement for a dowry. Now, there are some people that are here in this church that are from other places and spaces in the earth that had arranged marriages. I'm talking to you. You know, because we've talked about it. Like, how'd it go? And you're like, well, we're still married, and it worked. But there was an exchange for that hand in marriage. There was different classes, different things that you had, but in our context, especially here in the West, in, in the U.S., you know, when you have that conversation with your future father-in-law, guys, he's not going to ask you to pay. You know, he maybe should. I'm thinking about instituting that for Zeta. <laughs> Quarter mil. <laughs> I don't know. What, what could it be? Tori, Pastor Tori, start thinking about for Olivia. Let's just, let's come up with something and let's hold the line. Half mil, 300K, 333, just an even, one third. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, Just no horses, okay? Open your Bibles for the time that we have remaining. And I promise we won't go late, late, but we are going to go just a smidge over. um, Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. And they told Saul the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him. This is 1 Samuel 18, verse 20. So that the hand of the Philistines would be against him. Therefore, therefore, Saul sent said to David a second time, you'll be my son-in-law. You're going to marry my daughter. Speak to David and tell him that this is great. You're going to actually be my son-in-law. This is what I'm offering. And David says, does it seem to you like a little thing for me to become the king's son-in-law since I'm a poor man? I've got no reputation. And the servants of Saul told him, and thus so David did speak. And then Saul said, you should save this to to David. This is how this is going to happen. Verse 25. 
The king desires no bride price, no dowry, except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. It's in here. That he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Because I don't know about you, but the location of this item is in an area where most men in this room aren't just going to like offer that up. I've thought about that a few times when God establishes his covenant with Abraham. Abraham, this is what I need you to do. I need you to take a knife and circumcise. What? Could you imagine that conversation with Sarah? So, Sarah, uh, here's the deal. God asked me to remove a part of my... What? Who are you talking to? This is awkward, trust me, for me too. But this is a stranger thing in the Bible. So David goes and he says, uh, okay, I'll take you up on this. And David arose, went with his men, and killed 200, not 100, got 200 foreskins. Bonus, overachiever. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to say right now, if, if this was the thing, I just would hit the mark, and that's good. If it's 100, we're just going with 100. Why double it? And David brought these foreskins, which were given in the full number to the king. I have no idea how that happened. And he might be the king's son-in-law. Saul gave his daughter for a wife, but when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that his daughter loved him, Saul was even more afraid. So Saul was David's enemy continually. All right, so this is where we're going in Scripture. It's a stranger thing. It's a dowry of 100 foreskins. David goes get 200, gives it to the king. The king gives him a wife. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 15. Okay, flip back there because we gotta just back up a little bit before we get to this crazy story. First Samuel 15, I'm gonna skip around just for the sake of time. I'm not gonna read everything, but verse one, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people of Israel. Therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Samuel was making Saul king. And this is how it was going to go down. You had to do this, 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 and this. You pick up at verse 10, 1 Samuel 15. The word of the Lord came to Samuel and said, I regret that I made Saul king. He didn't do what I asked him to do. He didn't follow through what I asked him to follow through on. He's not obeying me. He's not listening to my commandments. He's actually unfit to be a king. His first test he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Verse 24, 1 Samuel 15, Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. I have feared the people and obeyed their voice. Can I just tell you something about your pastor? Um, I always want to honor you. I always want your opinion to be heard and to matter. I always want to, to hear you. You're not disposable. I always want to hear what you may think about whatever it is that you want to talk to me about. But I will not do things uh, out of fear to lead this church because of your request. 
You shouldn't be afraid of me. I'm not afraid of you. We're on the same team. But I'm telling you, when it comes to some of the decisions I've had to make, I'm more concerned about what God thinks and about what the Holy Spirit is doing than what you think and what you want to be done. we got to do these things out of unity, but sometimes in that unity, we're in unity, and some people are not on that same page. That doesn't mean they're not heard, doesn't mean it doesn't matter, but we will come into a season at Summit where we will move forward with majority, but not always unity. You take a church this old with this kind of heritage and all of the different opinions, we got to move forward through the big kingdom imagination. We tread lightly in this, but Saul is afraid of their voice. Now, therefore, pardon my sin, he says. And Samuel said to Saul, I am not going to do this for you. You've rejected the word of the Lord and God has rejected you for being king over Israel. I can flash forward just briefly. 1 Samuel 16, 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit tormented him. First point, number one. Disobedience to God's plan will leave you available to Satan's schemes. Disobedience to God's plan in your life will leave you available. It doesn't mean that you will partake in it, but it will open the door for it. You will be available to Satan's schemes when you're disobedient to God's plans. God has a way of life for you, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you about a part of your life that needs to be more like Christ. And if you delay obedience, that's disobedience. And when you disobey the commands of God that he has for you and for your life and how you are to live and for how we are to operate in the world to bring heaven to this earth. When you live according to how you want to live, not how Christ showed you how to walk, you will become available to Satan's schemes. You, you just basically say uh, without saying that you're available. Now, we have a fantasy football league that meets here at the church. Uh, we did a draft. Uh, Mike uh, is absolutely crushing it, and Andy West is crushing it. Uh, Sean is not crushing it. Um, but the truth is, is there are a little button on the Fantasy Football League. If you've ever played it, it's a blast. We'll do it again next year. Um, but you just click available or interested if you want to trade a player. And when you are disobedient to God's plans, you just click that button for your life. I'm available for Satan's schemes. We see this in Matthew 22. Uh, just sake of time, I'm going to do it quick. But Matthew 16, verse 22, 21. I'd love to spend the whole time on this, but Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things. The disciples are hearing this, that he's going to be killed by the chief priests and scribes. On the third day, he's going to be raised. And then Peter takes him aside and says, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. Peter hit the available button. Peter tried to have his way happen, not God's way happen. Jesus just told him, I'm going to have to die. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be raised. And Peter's like, nope, that's not what's going to happen. I'm disobedient to your plans. What does Jesus say to him in that moment? After he clicks the available button to Satan's schemes, what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. 
You are a hindrance for me, for you are setting your mind on the things of God, but not on the things of man. Disobedience to God's plan will leave you available to Satan's schemes. You will set your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. What are you being disobedient in that the Holy Spirit's been asking you to be obedient in? That's the question. You can read more, and I'd love to do this at another time, um, you know, when we have more time, but Matthew, or excuse me, 1 Samuel 16, David is then anointed king. Saul's um, away from Samuel. Samuel's lamenting this whole process, and God says to Samuel, how long are you going to grieve over Saul? I've already got this figured out, bro. Get your horn, fill it with oil, grab a my burger, and hit the road, Jack. I've provided for you a king for myself among Jesse's sons. He goes to Jesse, and Samuel says to Jesse, are all your sons here? After they go through the lineup, bing, 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 bing. And it's like, none of these guys are it. And then Jesse's like, well, there's actually, well, there's one more. He's the youngest. He's handsome. He's ruddy. Send for him. Where is he? He's out hunting lions, bears. David shows up. The Lord says, arise, anoint him, for he is the anointed one to be king. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And from that day forward, he was with David. Um, There's this crazy verse in, in the first part there, talking about the spirit of God leaving Saul if you go to Matthew 17, then you, you excuse me, 1 Samuel 17, um, it really is a whole story about David and Goliath. Does it make sense? So you get, you get David anointed king, and then David and Goliath, and that huge battle that happened right after. All along, David's playing the harp for Saul, uh, and the tormented spirit, or this evil spirit that's tormenting Saul would leave when David played the harp. Um, And I just want to say something. Music matters. What you listen to matters. Can you listen to Christian music? Sure, you can. Um, Can you listen to secular music? Sure, if you want to. Go right ahead. Knock yourself out. Can you eat McDonald's every day of your life and and live healthy? No. And see, the problem is, is if music is going to feed your soul, if you just live on a fast food pop top 40 diet, you're going to get sick. You're going to think different. You're going to act different. Music is a a powerful tool. So sometimes you need to live on better food for your body, and you got to live on better music for your soul. But let's just talk about this for a second, because I think we, we love to talk about David playing the harp, how that was the thing that moved Uh, this tormented spirit away from Saul. Did David fight Goliath with a harp or a sling? It changed what was in his hand. David went out in that valley with a sling. He went into that palace with a harp. I'm telling you, when God anoints you, it doesn't matter what you put in your hand, Sean Colstock, whether it is a wrench or a deep fryer for fries that we had at your house that changed my family's life. I was not able to partake. But the truth is, is whatever God puts in your hand, it is a tool that he has for you, but your anointing goes with you. Your anointing travels with you. 
David played the lyre. He played that harp. God used him, but God anointed David. And I'm telling you, no matter what season of life, whatever tool God puts in your hand, the anointing that God has on your life doesn't change. Your role might change, but the actual thing that God's got within you doesn't change. It only grows. As you become less, he becomes more. That thing that he's made only you to do, it becomes beautiful and on display. Does that make sense? I just I find that so interesting as a sub point here in this text where we love to like focus on the music, you know, like 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 soothing and that music does do that. It is atmospheric. It is powerful. It is a tool that can be used. But I'm telling you, the anointing was with David, not that sling, not that liar. It was with that man that God had chosen and God has chosen you through his son. He has chosen you. And no matter what's in your hand, whether you're at the welcome center or you're holding the baby or you're feeding people down at the bus stop or you're, you're giving of your tithe, you're releasing it from your hand or you're keeping whatever way you serve in the kingdom of God, the anointing is going to travel with you. Does that make sense? So you see this place where David, David and Goliath, now we get to 18, okay? 1 Samuel 18, David prevails over the Philistines, and when they're coming home, David returned from striking down the Philistine. The woman came out of the cities of Israel Uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. Singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and the songs of joy with musical instruments. And the woman sang as another as they celebrated. And they made a hit song. Saul has struck down thousands, but David has gotten ten thousands. And Saul was angry. He was saying this displeased him. They've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me, only thousands? What the heck's going on? Saul eyed David. He had his eye on him from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit, again, rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the harp. And Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled the spear, and he thought, I'll pin David to the wall with this spear. But David evaded him twice. In this portion of scripture, we see the the place where David and Saul's divide start to come. Saul starts to doubt his own journey, starts to declare someone else's journey. There's a comparison that sneaks in. So here's what you need to know. Doubt or doubting your journey in God's plan, comparing it to another, will leave you compromised to Lucifer's lies. Doubting your journey that God has you on or comparing it to someone else's highlight reel will leave you compromised to to the enemy's lies. What you do don't matter. That guy's way better than you. That person's way, she's a way better mom than you. That mortgage banker, look at all those houses they closed. You didn't even do like half of your goal this month. You absolutely suck at your job. The, the truth is, is if you find yourself in a spot where you're doubting the path that God has got you on, you will find yourself in comparison, comparing it to another, and you will open the door for Lucifer's lies, the negative soundtrack to start to feed the lies that are in your heart. This happens in the end of John 21. Jesus and John and Peter are there. I don't want to read the whole story, but they make fish. And Peter goes, look, what are you going to do with John? And they're having this big hierarchical conversation at the end of John 21. He's better, I'm better, you love him, you love me. And Jesus goes, what's it to you, bro? 
What's it to you what I do with him? You remain in me. You follow me. And when you compare yourself in your journey, you will wish death on your brother or sister. You'll try and pin him to the wall. Comparison leaves us in a place where we're compromised, maybe the, the enemy's lies, Lucifer's lies. Let's keep reading. Uh, you get to this spot here where the marriage proposal comes. Saul and David's conflict is greater. Saul is becoming more oppressed. Some would even argue Saul is possessed. I mean, there's an argument here that this evil spirit is tormenting him so. Saul said to David, here, my elder daughter, Miriam, I'll give for you for a wife. Only be valiant for me. Let my hand not be against him. 1 Samuel 18, verse 18. And David said to Saul, who am I? Who am I? that my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be a son-in-law to the king. Now, Saul's daughter, this other daughter, actually loved David. And Saul thought, well, let me give her to him that, well, she could be a snare for him. And so the Philistines could be against him. I'm going to set him up. I'm going to have him get a hundred precious items from a hundred Philistine soldiers, and I'm thinking, playing the odds here, one of those guys is going to be able to use that sword that he wants to use against them, against him. This is the plan that hatches here. So Saul then has this, uh, this idea um, that you can do this. Can I, can I just, just really help do some simple math? Um, the daughter equals a distraction, the reputation uh, equals a distraction. David, a chapter or two earlier, what happened to David with Saul? Jesse, brothers, comes out. This is going to be the king of Israel. Dumps oil on him, anoints him. This is the chosen one. The spirit of God rushes on David. He goes out, does this amazing stuff with the Philistines and Goliath. All this is happening. David is going to be king. He's on a trajectory of, to be the king. Why is he worried about being the king's son-in-law? Why is he concerned about the lesser thing that God has and the greater thing? He gets distracted. He gets distracted. And, and I'm telling you, in this place, David has the Spirit of God on him. He's so worried about being Saul's son-in-law that he's willing to go out and do a disgusting act of cruelty to a hundred, now 200 people, because he's distracted from the reality that God has got you on a path, David. You don't need to marry her. You don't need to go war for this. I've already anointed you. You just need to walk it out in time. And I'm telling you, distraction to God's plans will make you available to the devil's detours. There's going to be all kinds of different distractions in your life that are going to come up how you parent, how you live, where you're going, what God's called you to do. The enemy loves to use little shiny lures for you to leave you distracted. And if you take the bait, if you try and usurp and try and make it happen and massage it and go, I'm going to do God's work, good luck. Because distraction to God's plan will leave you available to the devil's detours. I don't have time to go in it today, but the truth is in that space, you can read in the book of John 18, Peter isn't walking it out. He gets distracted, actually gets distracted three times 
and he actually denies Christ three times rather than proclaims Christ three times. And the distraction in your life, when God has spoken over your life or you're moving in that space, he's going to try and trip, the enemy's going to try and trip you up along the way. It's going to try and have you do things that you never would intend to do or want to do or need to do to get to where God has already placed you. You just need to be faithful with the next step, not listen to the requests of someone else trying to get you to where they think you need to be. A whole bunch of stuff here. We finally get to the spot where King Saul makes this request to David in 1 Samuel 18, 24 through 23. Remember, an evil spirit is on Saul. This is important to note. An evil spirit is here. The dowry is 100. David brings 200. And I just want to be real clear with you. If it requires death of someone else so you can get ahead, it's demonic. If it requires death of someone else so that you can get what you want, you're walking in the enemy's endeavors. Dedication to the demonic requests like this that, that request the release of death to others will, will keep you executing the enemy's endeavors. When Satan whispers to you and you, you walk in this place where you have to use people to get to where God's positioning you, you're executing the enemy's endeavors. Revenge is a really good spot where this shows up. Do you know what, who revenge gets? Who revenge kills? You. Somebody wrongs you, and you're going to get revenge, and you're going to bring death to them. Do you know who's dying? Not them. You. It harms you more than it would ever harm them. Verse 28 of the end of this passage, uh, Saul is afraid Again, he's afraid. After David hunt these men down, Saul is filled with fear. If you go to John 10, in that space, uh, excuse me, Luke 5, rather, Jesus says, do not fear. You're going to be a fisher of men, not a hunter of men. Jesus releases Peter to fish for men. Do not yield to fear. David is hunting men and he's causing fear. This all changes in Christ. But fear, revenge, wishing death to someone, like to, to bring someone to their expense so you can get forward, that is, that is a demonic activity. You're, you're partnering with the enemy's endeavors when you use people as disposable instruments for your progression. Fear keeps us hunting. In closing, and I'll just close this quickly, write these questions down. Katie, you don't need to come. Uh, just Let's just ask these questions this week. Is that okay? Number one, if disobedience to God's plan will leave you available to Satan's schemes, where have you been disobedient? Where in your life has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you about a new level of obedience? Are you available? Number two, who are you comparing to? 
Because doubt in your journey or comparing to another's will keep you compromised to Lucifer's lies. Number three, what distractions have you entertained that you need to flat out get out of your life? What are some things that you have just started to dabble in again that are distracting you from God's plan and it's leaving you available to the devil's detours? And the last question, what are you hunting? Who are you hunting? Is there someone in your life that you want revenge on or is there someone in your life that you need to fish for? Are you fishing for men or harming others to get what you want? Because this demonic request causing death on another executes the enemy's endeavors. Those are four great questions about the life of Saul in this whole marriage proposition on a very strange dowry that I think the Holy Spirit just has for us today in 2022. God, I just pray that as we journey through our week, that maybe one of those questions, maybe all those questions uh, for some of us resonate. That we would look at this portion of Scripture not as odd or off-putting, but as actually teaching us maybe what not to do or how to think or what to inspect. Holy Spirit, just continue to illuminate those details as we look at our own lives in the mirror Let us be available to you, Jesus, to what you have, not what the enemy wants to destroy, what the enemy wants to detour, what the enemy wants to continue to have us doubt or bring death. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I pray that you'd go with us and you would speak to us about this further as we pursue you individually and corporately this week. Your name I pray. Amen. To help you apply the truth found in Scripture, we always like to ask three questions What did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? How are you going to apply what the Holy Spirit is speaking through Scripture to your life? We hope that helps bring clarity for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people of Summit Church. Join us in person sometime as we gather as a church on Summit Avenue. Or join us here at our podcast again, or virtually at our online encounter each week. Before you go, though, Pastor Eric is going to give you a special invitation and share just part of his heart for you, the culture, and a little bit about the people of Summit Church. Hey, Pastor Eric Samuel Tim here. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Let me first say, our city of St. Paul is absolutely amazing. I encourage you to explore all the history it has to offer. And you need to know this. Summit Church has been a part of that history, along with so many amazing churches. Speaking specifically about the people of Summit, well, we've been gathering here since about 1932. And my hope that this would not just be a rich history, but it would be our forward legacy. History is a thing of the past, but legacy makes way for the future. So where are we going? It's a good question. Our vision is simple. To see all people of St. Paul and beyond living as disciples of Christ, people full of hope, fully known, and actively loving one another, living a spirit-led life. Our mission is also simple, 
to provide rhythm, location, and opportunity where you can have a life-changing experience with God. Journey within the diversity to do these three things. Become disciples of Jesus, to deliver hope, and to champion this city. That is where we are going. That is what we're doing. So where are you going? Maybe that's a good question for you. What are your next steps? I would encourage you to join one of our monthly expeditions. The expedition is a simple experience where you can find out more about who you are in Christ, who Summit Church is, what are we doing around here, and how you can play a part. It's less than a two-hour commitment for your whole month. We also feed you some amazing food and even provide childcare. So the question is, where will we go? Maybe we're on a journey following Jesus together. And I got a hunch, we just might not be us without you. We'll see you at the summit where we prepare for life in the valley.